Hey, what's up, everyone? And welcome to another roundtable episode of We Need to Talk. Today, we're discussing the effects of COVID-19 that it's had on the music industry, what the current state of the music industry is, and where the industry and life for an artist will look like in the future. Joining me on the show today are singer-songwriter, arranger-producer, Maya Sykes. Hi. Guitarist and composer, Ian Felchin. Hello. Singer-songwriter, producer, music therapist, Emily Danger. Hi. Freelance musician, music director, composer, arranger, Andrew Orbison. Hi there. And singer-songwriter, LeVance Coley. Hello. I love how artists have to have like multi-slashes. We can't just be one thing. <laughs> I tried to be one thing, but then everybody was like, but now you this and you that and you right. that. I was like, well, I won't fight the feeling. Right, right. I love like it. A, like a five or six label long yeah, thing. Absolutely. I was like, man, <laughs> I just so I had to do this. all that to work. Hey, okay. right? It's exactly. We have to do that to work, just to work. Speaking of work, um, so, you know, we're, we're in this pandemic, we're about four months in, and, and it's really hit our specific industry the most. But before we even get to the effects of that, I kind of want to talk a little bit about where the industry was even pre-pandemic, because I feel like changes needed to happen anyway. And I'm not sure if it's a positive thing or a negative thing, really, that this pandemic's happening, because we could kind of rebirth it a little bit, but we'll get into that. But Maya, I'm going to start with you, just as far as like the culture of a musician's life in LA. What has that been like for you? Well, one of the things, interestingly enough, that COVID has highlighted is, and I'm sure that we're all dealing with this in our industry in different ways, but it has highlighted the disparities that have been made um, because of race. And for the first time in a very, very long time, I am being solicited for work. I've actually been more busy because of COVID than I've Mm. ever been because I'm being asked to record at home and I'm being asked to record because I can. So there's no, they don't have time to look at, am I black? Am I whatever? I've done things for Netflix, for different um, entities as a session singer. So in a way, this made, COVID almost made session singing colorblind. So Mm. it's really about what you know, how good your gear is, and how quickly you were able to mobilize on that. And so I maybe am a unique case because the COVID scenario provided an opportunity because um, I, with another singer named Brianna Lee, convinced an artist to make that as an opportunity. And be, But in doing so, it meant that we had to, she was a bit more prepared than I was, but we had to learn um, recording software. We had to learn how to do that remotely. So we had to start looking at programs that allowed a person to tell you what to record in real time. And there's a bunch of those programs. Um, we had to look at different ways to present this idea. And because I had to do that at the beginning, it inspired me and all but, you know, made me uh, learn how to do something that I was uh, in which I was very uncomfortable, but I knew that Mm -hmm. that was my only way to guarantee myself work. And the outcome of that is that I'm getting called because I have the best gear. I know how to use Pro Tools and Logic. So I'm Xing people. This has allowed for a colorblind scenario to exist for the first time ever. And it's also making these industries really look at, I don't know if you had the opportunity of looking on the um, session singer uh, panel discussion that was done via YouTube last Mm -hmm. night. But one of the things that it pointed out is that for years, black people were not included in sessions. We were not included in the metastatic data of royalties and residuals. And we haven't been for at least a 50 year period. And in that paddle, they were able to show pictures 
pictures verifying that pictures mm. of sessions on things like the lion king on us on you know big pictures uh, where there were maybe uh, one to three session singers there's still this um myth that session singers can't read there's still a myth that it's even necessary to read most of the sessions that i go on to reading isn't necessary mm-hmm. but i would love the opportunity to get on more reading sessions because i read and i have to keep up reading on my own because i may be given eight to ten gigs a year where reading is a requirement because it's automatically assumed i can't do it mm-hmm. so for the first time in oh history gosh. with this covid scenario it has illustrated huge disparities but it has given people ways to act um beyond them and it's really made an an equal it's been a huge equalizer so for me i can say that i've been trying to learn more about recording more about equipment and passing that on i've been making that information available to my friends and what's sad is that my friends are like can you send me this can you send me this can you send me this and i'm like you don't realize like this took me hours to Mm -hmm. just even create for you so a Mm -hmm. lot of people just want the information but don't want to do the work and i'm like you know you gotta have to balance this out in a different way the work is essential and if you're willing to do the work the work is there amen well that's the podcast guys (laughs) (laughs) see you guys later yeah thanks for having us Um, andrew um, i'm gonna jump to you what is your experience because you do a lot of uh, musical direction and you do theater and you also do church and you also do you know gig musician as well in like different venues so what is the culture in la been like for you specifically um, I, I mean, I think it's all about uh, pre-pandemic. It was all about who you know, right? It was like, you, you can be, I mean, for, for my industry, you can have the best equipment, you can have all these things, but it's like, if you can't reach out or, or, or when you're in the session, like be likable, <laughs> like that's huge. That's a huge thing. It's like, cause if you have a bad rep one time with someone that knows A, B, C, D, E, and F person, you're done. Like that's it, you know? Um, but I think, um, as far as, you know, as far as like playing gigs, I think in bands and stuff for, for, um, venues, I think that that was starting to become a dying art because people just uh, like what, like what Amaya said, it's like, you have all this experience, you have all the gear, you have all these things, but it's like, they don't want, they just expect that all to come with the the person and at the gigs. It's like, Oh, you have all this stuff and you have all this knowledge, but we just want to, we're going to pay you, you know, $25 for your time for a six hour set and you don't get any breaks. It's like, well, yeah. no, 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 that's not how it goes. You <laughs> yeah. know, that's not how it goes. Um, so there was some stuff that was like, thriving i think but then there's others that were completely being diminished and were failing and i and i hope that after this pandemic that people start to realize oh artists have a huge impact on our life and we just didn't know it Mm -hmm. absolutely i'm gonna jump to ian real quick before i get to you my again i just want to jump to ian um so now that the pandemic has hit we've noticed that a lot of people are doing, you know, performances on Facebook. They're doing things on Instagram. And do you feel that that's kind of taking away from the art form? Because now people are giving it for free, basically. Um, I wouldn't say it's taking away from the art form necessarily, as much as I think it's, it's kind of helping the already uh, pervasive ideal that art is free and should be free 
and and doesn't have the value that it used to it's, it's feeding into that ideal and it's not necessarily a bad thing because in times like these it's great to have all this content and all this wonderful music and comedy and, and all these performances that you can easily access for free right away through social media or youtube or whatever um but i do worry that once the pandemic is done or once we evolve in a way to live with it, um, which I know is a whole other conversation, I, I worry that people will have started to take some of that for granted. And I'd love to, to look on the bright side and really assume the good in people. But I don't think that the general consuming public, the non-musician or non-artist public, meaning folks who aren't necessarily creative types in, in, in our kind of realm, won't really think about the value that that is robbed when something is free and accessible, whether it's, you know, it used to kind of be like, okay, you have all your streaming stuff, you have all your, your uh, subscriptions, you can get to get, get access to all the music in the world. Right. And, and when that came out, if you were an artist trying to release anything or a band, you had to be a part of it. It didn't matter if you weren't, people weren't going to listen to you overall, mm-hmm. but you still had live entertainment. You still had the live aspect that people had to go pay to see, or there was something involved where they had to kind of, uh, you know, trade money for goods and services. Right. But I worry that now, and I don't think it'll be like malicious. I think people will just be so used to being able, Oh, Melinda's doing a free show on Facebook live. Let me click on it. You know, Oh, all of a sudden, why do I have to pay for this? Or why do I have, why go see, why go see somebody if I can get them their live stuff on YouTube, which again was all already happening. But my concern is that, the general public will be so preconceived with other things. They won't think about how they're taking it for granted. Right. Maya, I'm going to circle back to you. Cause I know you wanted to respond to what Andrew was saying. Uh, it was more actually a point on both of these things. And that is that the disparities that are being revealed because of COVID also extend very much to what Andrew said to the live performance. And I think that it's our responsibility, especially when we're watching our friends, uh, Facebooks and anytime I've sponsored a watch party or done things like that, I've said repeatedly, this is this person's Venmo. This is this person's whatever, Mm -hmm. because I think Mm -hmm. the main takeaway is that in live performance, especially in Los Angeles and especially in California, they've been paying musicians the same $125 (laughs) for 35 years. It has never, (laughs) ever changed. But the thing is, people don't know that. So I also think that in this form of resistance, one of the things that we have to insist upon is the reason why the live art venue is dying is because it has been bleeding us dry. Mm. It's dying because you've literally taken everything we have. It used to be you'd have to pay $350 to do any show in any major venue in anywhere in Los Angeles, let alone being um, hired to sing in a restaurant for four hours for a hundred or a hundred and two, you know, even some of these places have not raised their prices. I've been working at Delilah's for some years. And I know that Ryan Cross is great and has gone to bat for us, but we've been making the same $200 for five years at um, Perch. I left because we were making the same hundred and I think it got raised to $125. They have had live entertainment there for 25 years. So part of what I'm, the reason why I wanted to bring up this point and I didn't, I know you're doing everybody's inter um, introduction. So I apologize for interjecting this point, but I do want to say that in our resistance, we do have to keep pointing to this. Many people don't know to pay for our content because they didn't know how exploited we were. They didn't Mm. know the extent of the exploitation. They don't know the details and how long it's been. So part of this is trying to shatter that glass of perception. And then I think it will change. We got to let people know what we're worth. Exactly. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think the problem, though, is that there is always going to be someone that's willing to take the, the low yeah. payout. Just exactly what I was going to say. Exposure. Yeah. Welcome to Los Angeles. You know, yes. Yeah. So it does. It is harder for people that do know their worth and do do the work when you have somebody that's right out of college. is like, hey, I just want to play a gig. I'll take one hundred dollars or 50 bucks or whatever for this gig. It's really it's frustrating that that culture is not going to change. Um, LeVance, you, you also um, have been a touring musician. You've been a part of big companies. How did COVID affect that for you? Well, I was literally in the middle of, I had moved in January to start a brand new show with Cirque du Soleil in the show called, um, it's called Under the Same Sky. And so we were in the middle of rehearsals when this COVID uh, stuff happened. And we were set to open our show April 23rd. And, uh, uh, I think we finally went from the rehearsal space studio to the actual venue in Montreal where we were going to open up the show. And um, it was March. It was March 12th. We had had our first rehearsal in the venue. We were so excited. I got to see the 2,500 seat tent that were that we were going to be performing in. And then right after that rehearsal, we had an emergency meeting and they said because of COVID, we are going to now uh, postpone our show for four weeks. And at that time, we thought it would be four weeks and then we would be coming back. So they sent everybody home to their per all their different countries all over the world. And um, and then slowly but surely, okay, now we're going to extend it for two months. Actually, we're going to send it for three months. And actually now we're going to extend it for an entire year. So it, it was a bit, it was a bit uh, daunting and, and scary for me because, you know, I'm from Los Angeles, but I had moved out of my apartment because this specific uh, tour was going to be at least two years. Uh, and so um, I was a little worried, like, what am I going to do? So then I wind up having to come to Colorado to be with my mother. And so right now I'm living like a nomad. I'm still right now at my mom's house. I'm leaving July 7th to go to Chicago to, to go stay with another friend. But um, it's been crazy because like, you know, this year was supposed to be, as all of you guys had all these plans for 2020, you know, this was the year. First of all, I had been trying to get into Cirque du Soleil for over 10 years. And so I finally got like my dream job. And then it was like snatched right from under, <laughs> right from under right. you know, and I'm sure we all have these, these same stories yeah. where just, you know, we're looking forward to some things, but but I'm, I'm one of the few lucky people that we, I still have a job waiting for me because our show is postponed for a year. And I, I'm sure you guys have heard and seen articles about Cirque filing for bankruptcy and all this stuff, but they are coming back. It's not like this is just like they're done. It's just, they have to restructure their company because they were in so much debt and all this other stuff that it's above my pay grade. And so, um, <laughs> so I'm just literally chilling for a whole year. You know, I'm collecting unemployment, which has been so great for me. Um, Luckily, I had saved a little bit of money before all this pandemic started, so I'm fine. But at the same time, I'm glad that I have access to the funds that I have been paying taxes into, you know, so that has been helping me just float around. And luckily for me, because I moved out of my apartment, that secretly was a blessing so I don't have to pay rent. So all the all the stars kind of just aligned for me. So I'm not like, oh, my God, I'm struggling. I need to make, you know, I need to do this. I need to do that. But at the same time. I am ready to get back to work. Like I'm a performer. We all are performers here. We all want to perform on stage and I miss the stage and to take a whole year off. I'm, sh I'm not really sure what I'm going to do this year. Yeah. I mean, I'll do a session or two when somebody calls me, but it's just like, there's nothing to do. It's like, and, and then I was like, well, maybe I could, sh I should just go back to California. But I was like, oh yeah, there's no gigs in California right now. There's no gigs anywhere. Right, right now. True. That's not true. <laughs> well, 
the you, you, I have not. Well, luckily for you, Maya, you've been blessed to uh, have nope. your gigs. But for me, I have not no, had I've been a fi- lot of gigs. I've been finding them. I've been finding them. I've been going on backstage.com, voices.com. Mm-hmm. There is work. That's what I'm trying to tell you. So okay. we kind of have to get out of the mentality of there's no work. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not the work well, that I think that we're used to. I would say fair. that it's, yeah, it's, it's people have to kind of think out of the box mm-hmm. and, and it's a little unconventional, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I could say that I've been doing random work as well mm-hmm. that I didn't think I would, but yeah, there's nothing that beats being on a stage and performing. And that's Love what it. sucks that we mm-hmm. don't have right now. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, Emily, you're in New York. So you, you yeah. guys have, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you guys have, it's been great. Beginning, but you know, LA is <laughs> catching up with you now, but tell me about your experience. Cause you also, you were in school, correct? Yes. I, um, I'm in my last year of my master's program in music therapy and I was commuting to New Paltz, New York, which is about an hour outside of, um, Astoria, Queens where I live. So I was commuting, not every day, not every day, my, <laughs> not every day, um, but I was commuting like once a week and, um, and then I would do wedding gigs and then I would teach. So I basically live out of my car, um, but I love it. To be honest with you, like I love it. I'm California born and raised. So I'm used to that LA freeway life. And in New York, it's like not as bad because it's at least, you know, beautiful nature and you're seeing like the leaves change in August. So basically in March, it, this all kind of started for us in March. And there was scuttle of, you know, canceling wedding gigs and stuff like that. And like people kind of rumoring it, but none of us believed that we were like, "Mm, sure, it'll be fine in June. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. And I did a gig on March 15th at a bar in New York and it was packed and I was a little concerned and everybody was like, I was, I have mic spray. That is fantastic. I was like spraying everybody's mics. I was like wiping things down and people we're just continually cramming into the bar and the bartender was like, it's like the end of the world. Like everyone thinks this is their last night out. So everybody, but at the same time I was like, but why? Because now we're all going to get sick. Like we're all going to get it (laughs) at this dumb bar show. But I'm actually, (laughs) I'm really glad I did it. My husband did not want me to go. He was like, this is not worth it. And I was just like, it is, I know it is. And sure (laughs) enough, it was like the last kick I have (laughs) for the rest of the dumb year. Like, <laughs> all, all the weddings are canceled. All the bar shows everything, are canceled. Yeah. Like everything. I had a really awesome, steady, like two gig a week bar situation, plus weddings on weekends, and everything just just slammed to a halt. Everything's canceled. So it really took the wind out of my sails just thinking I was going to have this amazing, productive, wonderful live year. And then it was like, mm, no, now you're teaching on Zoom the rest right. of your life, which yeah. is. <laughs> a nightmare. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> it's so terrible. And my kids know that I hate it. And so like some days, you know, we'll show up and I'm just like, what are you gonna sing today? It's gonna be great. <laughs> Can't wait to hear your karaoke track singing. So it's like that plus the music therapy thing that's happening online is also horrible because telehealth is so not the same like speaking to clients and trying to get them to create (laughs) music online you know like we're on zoom right now there's delays you cannot sing along with someone in this kind of environment you can't you know if someone's having an emotional experience and you're they're cutting in and out you're not supporting them it's just the technology that is behind this whole thing for how i personally make a living has just made me want 
to jump off my balcony. It's just, <laughs> it's just <been> horrible. <laughs> Plus I'm a New Yorker. So you guys are like very optimistic and like, yeah, you know, we're fine. And I'm like, it's the worst. Everything's shit. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> what has been the, like the vibe in New York in regards to COVID? I mean, you can get, if you seek it, you will find it like in Astoria, um, where I live, it's like a lot of young actors. They call it Actoria as a hilarious joke. Um, but it's like, <laughs> there's one street and pe- no one's wearing a mask and people are outside crowding bars and like laughing. And there was one street that actually got the cops called on them because they opened a week earlier than they were supposed to the whole street. It was like, they all called each other and were like, actually we're opening now. And the cops had to come and close them down. And, but then on another street, you'll find like people social distancing and people with masks. And I mean, New York is such a microcosm of what the world is. Like you'll find everybody believing everything and, and then not following orders. But we, I haven't left my house. Don't you find the mask thing is also cultural? Like I found, um, I've been working with the Watts Towers a bit and um, my mom works for there and there's a story that's been going around because there's a family, it's a Hispanic family. None of them are wearing masks. One of the um, younger kids went to a kickback, got COVID, gave it to every intended entire household. The grandparents wow. died. His oh, sisters God. got it. The babies wow. have it. And they still walking all around that neighborhood, just running around on a scooter and whatnot no mass no nothing and i'm pretty sure it's a cultural thing because they're just like pinche you know pinche covid it's like not dealing with that like, you know what i'm saying of exactly. machismo it's the american culture of machismo and individualism mm-hmm. and 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 yes in in i think there's that in the hispanic culture too but you're, you're right it's a culture of like you don't get to tell me what to do and i know what's best for me yes and everybody yeah. else is wrong and it's That's like how, how you can do that once your grandparents die because of yeah. it is insane. It's maddening. Andrew, what were you going to say? Well, no, yeah. And I, I have, uh, I've, I've actually just, I just found out the other day that a family member who lives in Temecula and they do a lot of stuff in San Diego. And I know San Diego is not doing so hot right now either, but like they, the kids both take karate and, and uh, what was the other? Oh, and um, I think one of them does like a wrestling class. And it's like, why are those things open? Yeah. Why are those yeah. things open? That is like, I understand like <clears throat> everyone has the right to do what they want. It's like, well, you sh- one should be safe. And two, like, I just think that's so irresponsible. Yeah. It's it's like like a, if you're going to do that, why not go out of your way to make it the safest thing possible and right. saying we're reopening, but we're doing it in limited classes of five at a time. We're checking everybody's temperature at the door. We're doing a full yeah. sanitation in between classes. See, if you're yeah. saying things like that, then I can understand we are going to have to find ways to integrate this into <clears throat> our real life yeah. until we have a workable vaccine that also makes us feel like we're not an ex- a Tuskegee experiment. You know, so there's a lot <laughs> can afford yes yeah, and that everyone can afford that's not you know thousands right. of dollars you know because people yep. are coming out hospitalized with covid with half a million dollar um hospital bills yep. i know they just showed that one man but that's coming that's coming down the pipeline a lot, a lot. Yeah. and the other thing that people haven't talked about is um the recuperation after it like now if yes. you've had covid if you've recuperated no matter what um, your recuperation rate was you are now going to be classified as somebody with a pre-existing condition 
condition mm-hmm. because yep. of COVID, which now changes your insurance, um, who will give you insurance, how much it is, and how much you'll be subsidized if you need subsidy. So there are a lot of these disparaging things that we still need to nitpick at because they're evident and prevalent. You know what I mean? And we just yeah. don't know that they don't know the extent of what this does to people's bodies. I've, right. I've read stories yeah. of people who's like blood is different now, or yeah. their lungs yeah. will their never lungs work the same way exactly. again. Exactly. Or their, their nervous system is like shot. And it's just like, how can you, like, this is not a cold, you know what I mean? Or it's not, blue. It's not a one and done. Even what, what it what it does for you, like, you know, all of the things that have been um, happening, people say it's a respiratory issue. My friend died of COVID and she was 44. She had no respiratory symptoms at all. And all she had was four days of a really bad stomach ache. And on the fourth day, she felt like she was having trouble breathing, but it was because her stomach hurt really badly. And she died in mid-sentence Gosh. and she had COVID. So none of Jesus. us even know what the actual overarching symptoms are because that's still being revealed. You know, COVID is still a grouping of viruses and we're looking at the most virulent strains of that virus, but we still haven't discovered what the most virulent strains do. And because we've had this, you know, people won't adhere to social distancing because it's infringing upon their freedoms. Other virulent strains are being formed. That's the main takeaway. And that's, it's such a frustrating thing when you see on social media, the whole aspect oh, of God. my freedoms being taken away. It's bullshit. It, well, I mean, yeah, to, to, for lack of a better word, that's exactly what it is. Um, it, and it's coming from a group of people, the same group of people, it's kind of like their textbook. It's the all lives matter people. It's um, the Christians. It's the Republicans. Honestly, it's the majority of that group, which is so surprising. Like if all lives matter, then why can't you just wear a freaking mask? You know, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I mean, in, in your groups and in your um, circles, what, how are you seeing people respond to this? Do you feel like most of the people that you're close to are wearing masks or adhering to kind of the rules and the policies being put in place? Are you seeing resistance? Anybody can speak on this. Well, ahead, I was, yeah. when, in Colorado, I've seen a lot of people wearing masks. Um, we don't like, sometimes like I go hiking in the, in the mountains out here, beautiful and all that stuff. And I don't necessarily wear a mask then because I'm by myself and I'm walking through like the forest, you know what I'm saying? So if I happen to run across somebody, we just, you know, go our separate ways, you know? Yeah. I, I definitely should wear a mask, but I don't think people need to wear it like 24 hours a day if you're just right. out hiking. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Stuff that's like just that. like on so, some common sense. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. But, people, <laughs> right. people, but some people are you seeing, they're driving down the street and they're like wearing a mask. And it's like, you're in the car by yourself. Why yeah. are you wearing your mask yeah. in the car? Right. Like, <laughs> it's convenient. So, they don't want to take yeah. it, keep taking it off and putting it back right. on. They're just put it on. So it's just like, <laughs> so in Colorado, it, people are. I see a lot of people wearing masks and I'm included. And then sometimes I'll go out with my sister and my mom and we'll wear a mask. We need to go to the store or whatever. So out here they're doing pretty well. That's good. Andrew, what were you going to say? Um, I think in my immediate circle, I mean, all of us have been pretty cautious and, um, I am like lucky enough. My mother-in-law works directly with the health department and the state. So like we get, we get a lot of updates from her. And so it's like, and, and one of our best friends is, a nurse who works for Kaiser and it's like, so we get a lot of information and it's like, so I feel like it's, we, we trying to tell everyone else what's happening in the world or, you know, like, or at least in the state of California, just because, you know, with no information, people, you know, think, Oh, well, it's not that big of a deal, you know, whatever. But then on the flip side, you are living in, in a city like Burbank where people are, 
I don't care. I my these are my rights. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's to, to the point where someone literally was like, "Well, if everything's going to shut down here in Los Angeles, I'm just going to go to Orange County and party because no one can take my rights away and my freedom." <laughs> Facts. Uh, okay, and don't then you're going to come like, back here. Don't you feel you know? like Burbank is where white people take their parents to die? Though, like it's just so <laughs> and Bakersfield, you, Burbank from, and Bakersfield. From personal experience, yeah. and Andrew can vouch for this because we both grew up in Burbank. Uh-huh. Burbank is the probably single most conservative city Absolutely. in the entirety of Los Angeles County. Really? And no matter how yeah. much of the film industry comes in, no matter how many minorities you see living there, it is one hundred percent a conservative psychopath Fact. city. It always wow. has been. And it's better, <laughs> but Fact. it's the underlying like even the like the uh, not to totally get into stereotypes, but even like the middle class white folks that you would think are oh they must be Democrats because they drive a Tesla. You know no. they're crazy. They're people that don't <laughs> have that they're and it's this is the, this is the thing. It's the people who think. The American flag is actually the picture of the don't tread on me snake. Like that's what it is to them. It's their individual rights are more important than everybody else. And it's been in Burbank as long as I can remember. I don't know about you, Andrew, but I, you, I grew up interacting and being lucky to have a a group of friends that was very, very uh, diverse and, you know, growing up playing sports or playing music with, with a, a group diverse group people. But if you, that was my experience living on like, what I'd call like the Valley floor part of Burbank. Mm-hmm. If you go like above the five freeway where all the money is, it is the most like racist, non-diverse, terrifying, <laughs> like it's, it's crazy, man. It yeah. really is like, and, and, and it, this, sorry, we're just going to add to go that. Ahead. I mean, go, go, go. It, it's, you know, this is the, also the same city where it are, are known. These schools are known for their arts programs. That includes Correct. music. That includes culinary arts. That includes all the arts. Mm-hmm. And yet these are the same people that won't take like pay, you know, a hundred dollars more on their tax on their property taxes to yep. fund these Burbank yeah. schools. They voted yeah. no against that. It's like, yep. okay, then I'm, I don't know. It's also the <laughs> same city where you get, you get six cops if you're pulled over for jaywalking. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's actually happened to me. Um, yeah. But one wow. thing I was going to say to Melinda's point about, and I'm actually asking this because I feel like this is, um, been my experience mm-hmm. when uh, just to circle back to your point about like how people are reacting with mass and your social media specifically mm-hmm. I got fed up with the few friends I had who were like on the don't tread on me thing so I blocked them or I've you know so part of it is that I feel like I don't have a reference point of what those people think because they were making me so tired <laughs> I just <laughs> needed them so now I have no idea you know I have very yeah. little reference as right. to what they think what they say what they believe, la, 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 la. Because mm-hmm. when I was seeing this on my time, yeah, I was just like, you know what? You gonna make nope. me cuss you out right. on Facebook and I don't have time. I have actual mm-hmm. jobs and I need right. to figure out how we gonna pay for these actual groceries. So right. I right. just started deleting or per, you know, there, and, and I know, and the reason why I'm, I'm saying this is because I know that a lot of people are like me, that they did these massive purges. So it's like, okay, when this is over, if it ever will be, how, how do we... 
How do we navigate relationships with people who think differently from us? Because you're going to have people who think differently from us. But to me, it came down to such a fundamental issue. I couldn't even have those people in my space. Yeah. I've never thought that before. Yeah. I've always had friends who were Republicans or da 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 da. But because this was such a, you know, this and the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. were to me two um, absolutes where I would not negotiate, it meant I lost a lot of friends. And I'm wondering how to get back to a place of moderation mm-hmm. where, you know, yeah. you and I can, if, if right. you are differing from me or your opinion differs from me, we can talk about it in a cogent and respectful manner and come away with something positive on either end. I feel like that's right. been just almost eradicated. I think the problem for me, though, when it comes to something as serious as this pandemic and like you mentioned, the Black Lives Matter movement, there really isn't room for having a different opinion. That's Agreed. that's that's my yeah. stance on it. Like people are dying and black people matter. Like that's the end of the conversation. Period. So to feel like there is like a form of negotiation or like a but that has to come after these conversations. It's like, I don't want to waste time having this conversation with you because this is just how you view it and nothing is going to change you. You have the people that have the conspiracy theories, you know, uh, clearly the entire world came together to create a fake virus to make Donald Trump look bad. You, have so Soros like, oh, you, you guys didn't get that memo? George Soros. <laughs> right. So, yes, you Look have those up. people. You have get those our Soros checks every Just, week. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. And then you have the people that go into the All Lives Matter thing. So it's like, I, there's nothing I can do to really, and I love having conversations with people that I don't agree with. That's, you can go on my Facebook feed and you can see that and go on my Twitter and you can see that. <laughs> But there is, a, I do have a breaking point. So when you, when people don't want to listen to facts and they don't want to hear your story, you just have to move on. And, and it's unfortunate because I have seen people that I've had face-to-face interactions with that I did consider friends that I'm now like, how did we have such a different opinions on this? 100%. Like, you know, I think everyone has. And what I'm saying to that point is I 100% agree with you, Melinda, but then what do we do with those people? Are those people going to to die? You wait till they die. (laughs) A lot of them. There's a lot of them. So how, how do we, how do we wait till, and there's a lot of them and they're making new ones. So what do we do with those people? How do we reach those people? There. That and send them to an Island. They can all get COVID together. That's how I feel. (laughs) Like, it's, I think it's, it's maddening. It's, it's, this, that's like the real, Maya, that's a good point because I think that's the real challenge that this country faces, exactly. regardless of who wins in November, is that, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I think removing Trump will be a, a great step forward, but those voices were enabled before. They're certainly more enabled now. Yeah. And it's all, to me, it's all based in like fear and insecurity. Absolutely. And the reasons they say all lives matter or black lives matter, but, or blue lives matter for Christ's sakes is because they're worried they're, to them. They've been told or they've developed or something has affirmed it that simply by saying something like that, or by agreeing that wearing a mask could help others that somehow they are like less in the societal totem pole or somehow their actions or beliefs have less value, which is, which is insane. And, and, and I think it's, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone of participating in passionate rhetoric online and offline. But I I think (laughs) the the real problem is that it's the, it's the kind of person that would be able to say that I'm a patriot, blah, 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 greatest country in the world. I love my flag. I love my soldiers. I love my fellow Americans, but it's too much of an inconvenience to me to put on a piece of cloth over my face (laughs) for 
30 minutes out of a day to protect those very same citizens that I love. It's the same kind of person that will say or think that, that simply the, the statement of that a group of people matter. And yes, in this case, we're categorizing them by the color of their skin because that's part of the problem that, that, that they've been discriminated by on that by simply recognizing that fact, regardless of whether or not the civil war happened or the civil rights movement, they somehow feel that, they are less, that the color of their skin means less if they say that black lives matter. And I think that's all so based in fear and insecurity that there really is no way to like, discuss with them. There's no way to change their mind because it's something they're going to have to learn or discover on their own. You know, like the guy that you spoke to recently, Melinda, like that's, I don't think anyone, anyone who's, I don't want to say reformed, but let's say just come over to the light side of history. Um, which is a bad term to use considering we're talking about race. But anyways, um, <laughs> the right side of history, uh, I don't think any of them have come because of like a Facebook post or even really an, an argument from the other side. It's become, it's because they've learned a lesson or had a life experience that's made them see things in a different light. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be such a challenge for this country. And in this world where everything is so based on this minute by minute, 30 second, 200 character statements or, 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 or titles or headlines or opinions. And there's no room to sit there and think about like, what does this really mean? Right. You know, right. Like, what, Emily, what, what, is, you what is your experience? Well, it actually really flows into Ian's point, which is I, I think that, so my family, they're all, they are in Bakersfield, California, which is literally the most conservative town in all of mm -hmm. California. Mm -hmm. um, I think more people turned up to vote for Trump in Bakersfield than any other Republican candidate, which oh is gosh. really something. But um, <laughs> my family, my family and I have had amazing conversations through this time, through COVID, because of what happened with unemployment, how I now rely on unemployment. There's a huge stigma about people on unemployment and a lot of that is racial and mm. I had an amazing eye-opening experience when I told my family guess who's on unemployment guys the hardest working artist you know is on unemployment and so is everybody else half the country and Exactly. Country. So is everybody else. And so like that was really eye opening to them in the beginning, I think. And then when George Floyd was murdered, it was like something shifted and an opening happened, which was awesome. And I knew how to tread. I knew to kind of like go in there like a little mouse and just like start posting these things here and there and start sending mm -hmm. emails. But it wasn't, I, I am very boisterous on Facebook, as Melinda can tell you, very anti-Trump on Facebook. And they knew that in the beginning, but they didn't really know about my friend's experiences. They didn't really know how this kind of like shook me to my core and made me really insightful of my own biases and my own, maybe my own blind spots to what my friends have gone through and to what the black community has gone through. And so this has been an opportunity for me to talk to family members in a real way. And they've actually been listening. They don't listen to people who yell at them on Facebook. That's for sure. They don't listen to the news. That's for sure. They sometimes don't listen to facts, but they are listening to these things that I'm sending them that appeal to their more religious side, that appeal to what the Republican Party used to be like in their point of view. Like, there's a way, I think, to get more unity. And I don't think, like you said, Ian, it doesn't come from social media, but it could come from these people who you're saying, Maya, these people who seem unreachable, they have family members that could reach them. 
And those family members need to step the hell up like some other people have been doing and be like, not be scared and not be scared. You can't be scared. You got it. It's the time for fear is over. Mm -hmm. And if more people are not afraid to say things, then the people who are afraid of their status in society might take a step back and be less afraid too. One of the things that I found effective and I, so I have, I've been trying not to cancel every Republican I know, and I do have a couple and, um, and, but I did cancel probably a good 20 or 30 people. Cause I was just like, yeah, nah. But, um, <laughs> the one thing, the way I was able to interrupt that consciousness was when people would send me videos of Candace Owens speaking or something like this in rebuttal oh, to black lives. It matters experience. My retort was really personal. And here's what I said. I said, here, Here's the problem, especially for most of you who have known me for a really long time, you're sending this one black woman's response who's in minority to my personal response that I'm telling you directly. Now, if I've known you for 20 years, I stood up next to you at your wedding. I was there at the birth of your child. Why is the opinion that you are spreading to your other like-minded conservative Mm -hmm. people, the voice of a black woman you've never met before, the Mm -hmm. voice of a black woman who's never done anything for you and the voice of a black woman who by her own admission is speaking in a minority why is her voice the one that you are sharing why isn't yep. it mine because it confirms how they feel and they think if no one but when i like, said that yeah. people were like i didn't realize that's what i was doing that's good um, I, love, I love how you present that as an interruption it's something i love there was how another person that, yeah. who um put up this thing about how people were asking for the the puppy um like cop or whatever from paw patrol to not be um added to the macy's day parade and she was like this is absolutely ridiculous she said and i was like listen i'm my um sister's kids love paw patrol so i'm not even saying this from a personal standpoint but you cannot be mad at people who do not want to see police dogs as part of a whitewashing of what the police mean to you and here's why and i was like here's a picture of my uncle this is a picture of my uncle that was in time magazine and in life magazine being attacked by dogs in a protest in selma alabama this has been the legacy of my family that has been passed on from generation to generation i have seen this image that image has been broadcasted so you cannot tell a bunch of people that your pain is irrelevant because this matters to the greater good of children that is whitewashing and representing an idea about which you know nothing and that does not work but when I said that when I presented those images she changed her mind not that she you know because I wasn't trying to say cancel Paw Patrol but I am trying to say please listen to these voices of people who have had systemic pain passed down to them for generations that Mm -hmm. is the disconnect that you're not seeing here when you're just saying because you don't understand my pain. It is now invalidated. That's the the interruption I'm trying to make. You can't make that en masse with a bunch of Trump supporters, but you might be able to do so individually. And in doing so, we may be able to change the topic. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm not canceled because I'm I'm 100% guilty of this. I definitely was like, uh, you said one too many Trumpy shits. Bye. <laughs> And you want mute and you blocked. I'm definitely guilty of that, but I know that if we are going to change this dynamic, if we are going to have some kind of moderation, if we are going to have some kind of seeing eye to eye, we do have to. It sucks to be responsible for that, but we are going to have to make those small interjections into people's consciousness. So when it yeah. comes to COVID, though, 
and, and this pandemic, how do you talk to people that still believe it's a conspiracy theory? How do you talk to people that are like, oh, you know, the CDC said this in March. Now they're saying this in June as if there's not updates and there's constant data that's coming out. Like, that's the issue that I've been having is that seeing a lot of posts from these people that don't believe it. They think it's a scam. Like, again, the entire G5, world. 5G. Yeah, all that stuff. 5G. Like, it's like. I, I get that in terms of political things, even though Black Lives Matter isn't political, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, oh. But when it comes to this pandemic, like how do you get people to just read facts and believe that this is something serious? Interestingly enough, in some people's, in some people's post, if I felt like they weren't, I almost feel like you have to pick the people who aren't completely embedded in the Trump thing. Mm, like they might right. be, you know, this is what they believe and da 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 da. But with enough present, uh, presentation of data and actual facts and personalized conversations that make them feel like they're not being yelled at or talked to or dictated to, you might be able to. But I don't know that you can with the deep embedded people. I don't yeah. know if that's possible, but I think no. that you should be trying to do the moderate people and uh one such person um i'm not going to say her name because i i didn't clear it with her or anything like that but she um, put a thing about her post being like if covid is so bad how come the homeless aren't getting it like how come you're not seeing homeless numbers and i wrote back to her because i know personally that you're not seeing that because it's not been in the news but the city has mm -hmm. taken that on at great extent and so i listed i was like here are all the ways the city has um tried to infiltrate this here are all of the visual representations that you can drive around if you don't believe me. And here's why that's important. Here's the data. Here's the numbers. Here's the da-da-da. And she was like, wow, because I didn't see that in the news, I didn't know this. And my retort to her was, you can find it in the news, but maybe not the news sources that you were looking at. Uh, also, yeah. to backpack on her, on another note, some people are just never, ever going to change their perspective on this whole COVID thing until somebody in their family or they themselves yes. get COVID. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people yeah. just because it hasn't hit their family, it hasn't gotten into their little bubble. They just don't care or they just think it's a hoax until it happens to them. And that, and that's just going to be a hard lesson that they're going to have to learn. And it's unfortunate because, I mean, I completely agree with you. And no, I don't wish that upon anybody, but it almost it's like you said, that's the only way that they're going to to open their eyes and realize that it is a situation. <laughs> it's so good. No, oh, no, I just was going to say there and I've seen it happen. And it's like there's there are some people that go, oh, well, I mean, even though it's like the hospital is telling them it's COVID, they're oh, this is that was just a, like a normal flu. Like they, they just caught something. It wasn't they didn't they didn't get really sick because of COVID. It's like it, it literally happened to you. And you're still <laughs> denying the fact that it's a real thing. Right. Right. I, think I don't get it. Mind boggling. What it comes down to is people don't it's it's. There's a human tendency to think once something is written once, not that I'm going to call it the Bible, but the Bible is a great example or the Constitution. Once something is put to words once, then that is how it is true, unchangeable, <laughs> uneditable for all the time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. There's there's a guy who hangs out at our local park, I guess is the best way to say it. Really nice guy. Always very friendly. Turns out he's a giant Trump supporter. But I started talking to him about the the pandemic and even he was like you know at first i was like totally against it until i realized like wow it's all i have to do is wear a mask when i'm in public and that helps other people feel comfortable and that helps me do my part to protect the people who i care about that might be vulnerable and the people that i don't know that might be vulnerable so i think it's 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 possible for people to to get through them but again like like you guys said and like 
Maya's point, Emily's point, it's, it's a, it's a one-on-one conversation. Not that my conversation changed that guy, but, but like, it's these little instances of actual person to person experience that are going to allow people to have an open mind about it. Otherwise they're just going to keep with, well, it's, it's this way and, and it's never going to change. So let's look six months into the future. Where do you, I know, do we think that COVID's still here? Where do you think our industry specifically will be? And how does the country look? Anybody can take this one. Um, I mean, at, at, I'll start it. I think that'd be question. as, as far as things are going, like it is, it is, it is here to stay. Like that's the bottom line. Um, and I think at some point and everyone is going to get a strain of it. I think that's just kind of, yeah, for sure. I, I'd be naive in saying that, Oh, I'm never going to ever catch it. And, you know, and you know, cause I have, I've heard people have, I've had several people who have gotten COVID and have defe- uh, like come, you know, come out of it on the other side, you know? So it's not, not, def- you know, beatable, but it's like, I think, it's going to be here for a very long, for, for eternity, if for lack of, I don't know, yeah. but it's like, you know, I, I think, I mean, it was in, in a way I was, cause I do my, my primary income is musical theater. So like for me, it's like, that is not coming back mm-hmm. right now. And it's, mm-hmm. and, and in a way like it Broadway just announced, uh, you know, it was earlier this week that they're not, coming back until January. And to be honest, like they had to give a date, but I don't think, I think that's even going to be pushed to later because they're saying like January 3rd or January 4th or something like that. But like, that's probably going to be pushed. And it's like, so for me, it's like in a way, this false hope of like, I hope things are going to come back. Like I, I, it, that's now gone because I think people are going to start follow suit and it's, but honestly, it's also like, it's, it's not safe. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, People go, oh, well, the theaters have been really figuring out ways to socially distance the audience and we're going to keep the audience safe and we're going to keep our patrons. It's like, okay, your patrons will be safe. What about the people that are going to perform (laughs) these shows? How are they being safe? And that's why I'm very interested in seeing how the UK is doing with their new that that show six is going on tour in the UK. Hmm. And they're doing it and they're doing it outside venues and like people are driving, it's like a drive-in and people stay near in, in their cars. But the performer, I'm, I'm curious to follow that because the performers are still going to be traveling and in these new spaces. So it's good in environment. So I'm interested to see how that goes, but I think, I think that it's um, there might be some stuff that, and I, I, Maya, you bring up a good point. There's still a lot of work to be had at home and doing things at home. And you just, people have to be willing to look for it. And, and now they have, as artists, we have to market ourselves in a brand new way. And that's challenging. We didn't have other things to do. Like we didn't didn't have that as a challenge already. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But you know, but I think there are stuff, there are aspects of, of performing arts that that won't ha- come back for a very long time. And like Levan said, you're, you're um, um, with Cirque du Soleil. That's at least going to be another year, but I think, yeah. I, I think we, it's just going to be an adjustment period. So in, in musical theater terms, I think it's going to be not around for, be a while. Mm-hmm. For, yeah. for a while. Yeah. 
And also we have to uh, put into account uh, pay as well, because once we come back, a lot of these venues, specifically for my show, for example, they're going to have to work at 50, 40 or 50 percent capacity. So what does that mean for artists and people? Are they going to give us pay cuts because they're not making as much as a revenue, as much revenue as they would have had if they had 100 percent capacity? So it's just like that's another thing that we got to figure out now, too, is is, are they going to start, you know, cutting our pay just because they don't have enough people and then on the other side there uh there's a situation in japan where they're going to they're doing trying to do more shows again but they're going to do the 50 percent capacity but then the government is going to subsidize the other 50 percent but is that really going to happen in america you know what i'm saying Maybe, you know, <laughs> right <laughs> right, you know, right. It's a lot different than everybody everywhere especially when it comes so, to the arts yeah yeah, yeah. They don't yeah, yeah. so yeah they don't it's just like what are we going to do you know we'll have right. to wait and see what happens yeah maya i will say um since i actually have done a few shows um like not just at my house and what happened uh was okay so i'll tell you the ones that i did i did three weddings and i did hour of power which is a religious program and hour of power is trying to do a soft reopening again at 40 percent capacity they reduced their services to i want to say they're going to have two services but they're not doing that until i want to say august 2nd so what they did was they worked with a doctor and they're continuously working with a doctor so that they'll have 40 um, to 50 percent capacity people's um temperatures get checked um at the door they're all required to wear masks. All crew is um, required to wear masks. And what they um, did was they have um, their choir members singing to a green screen at home. So if you sing with a choir, you're literally singing to floating heads in the back of you. Um, so when I went to do the Hour of Power performance, they hadn't... Um, started releasing in um, patrons. Um, They had a crew of about 11 people in total. Everyone was wearing masks and gloves. Um, I I have a UV sterilization light and mic spray. So every time I went to the mic, I did that to both things. Um, And I did that as well at the wedding. I don't know that I'm going to do more weddings because the thing that I found was that even though there were, it was a, um, a wedding where the guest list was supposed to be 400 some odd people and they pared that down to 60. Um, and again, we were outdoors. We weren't in direct contact. The thing was, if you were supposed to go to the food stations or whatever, you were supposed to wear your mask. But as soon as people went away from the food or drinking stations, they took them off and they didn't stand directly in front of us because we didn't allow that. And our band leader took took our temperatures on in all three um, cases. But I did notice that the more people that are there, the less you can control it, unless you have really, really gangster, like we will eject you um, if you fall, if you don't follow this and that's, what's going to have to happen. It's going to have yeah. to get that gangster. But I will say I have a live performance coming up. I don't know if they're going to shut down LA again, but if they don't, I'm supposed to do a scheduled live performance at Catalina's and to Levance's point, they did, they cut our pay significantly because they can only have a 40% capacity, but then they raise their prices up because I was like, listen, because you're at 40% capacity, what you could do is do a stage it or a Twitch element, do it in live time, do sets, allow us to do even like a little um, uh, pre like a, a in the middle interview that people on stage, it can see in real time. And you can have that broadcast and you can have pay what you can tickets so that, you know, because you're also talking about um, to Levance's point, not only are the performers going to have to get their pay cut or whatever, tickets are going to be three or four times as much mm. because we can only have 40 
to 50% capacity. So with Catalina's, they were trying not to raise there um, because it's already a pretty expensive price point. And that, again, X's out minorities, mm-hmm. younger people. Not everybody has $200 to drop at, you know, mm-hmm. because they're, you're mm-hmm. responsible for the ticket plus either two drinks or dinner. Yeah. That's easily $100 a person. Yeah. And so because of these, you can still, with the stage it aspect i almost feel like that's where it should go is if you're going to do a 40 to 50 percent capacity in addition to that you should have a stage it or twitch option where people can still watch these things in live time and that's going to add to the bottom line revenue because even if you have a show where only 60 people come and they pay 25 dollars on an online platform you can have an additional 600 people watching a person perform live in the way that they should because performing at your house with all this like the, the internet might go out it's the freaking worst right? but this way people can still get the live experience without you know in the same way that we are economically impacted the world is not everybody is gonna you know they still want to be able to have entertainment but people mm-hmm. can't pay right mm-hmm. right you know youtube yeah. tv just went up on price and I, they might get canceled i was like see at 49.99 you was a good value at 64.99 in the middle of a pandemic i'm like maybe no <laughs> you're like i gotta rethink that and the fact that you even <laughs> thought to say that shit in the middle of a pandemic to your current sponsors it's a maybe it's a maybe it's a nah maybe it's a nah. <laughs> <laughs> well before we wrap up um, emily and ian i'm just gonna throw this question at you what do you think the future of you know smaller performance venues because i know emily you said you do a lot of bar gigs and i know ian you've played different venues around los angeles and i myself you know hotel cafe troubadour places like that what do you think the future of those type of venues is I I had the idea that, and Maya, I was going to ask you this, if you do like a drum kind of plastic stage, you, what do they call that? The, the drummer sits the drum shield, drum shield. Drum, drum shield. shield. What if you do like a drum shield in front of the stage and you all just kind of have this, like you could take temperatures with everybody in the band, but you also have a mutual understanding that you have been quarantining as as you know a good a bandmate you kind of yeah as a unit and you thrive off the trust in that unit but if you have a drum shield i think that that would maybe help with certain things like it wouldn't sound great but you're going through amps theoretically and through like a pa system outside of it but my main reason behind that is because then you don't have fools coming up to you requesting all this stuff going on you know like <laughs> can you play skinner like right in your face that kills you know that that kills a lot of germs that are coming your way and a lot of bad vibes so i think like a drum shield situation is a really good idea that's hilarious um that was my like small little antidote but i i agree like it's gonna cut capacity all these small bars they're just gonna be they're just gonna have to get smaller like that's yeah. just how it's but gonna these be. small bars yeah. are the perfect place where you could have a staged show or a twitch show like i'm I, in, in a way i almost feel like the small bar platform would be the perfect place to try to do this because then yeah. you could do it as an experiment on a smaller scale help the you know i even gave um one of the bars that i work with i said listen do when you do your soft opening if you only have um, 20 to 30 people cool but then do a staged show and then sell off your excess alcohol 
alcohol, do a VIP package where one of the table girls comes to your house in a cute mask and a cute little outfit and delivers you a cute, you know, bottle of alcohol, two entrees and some mixers. And that's one price. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I, I love it. Good idea. I love creative it. with this. I love it. Good idea. Well, I, think, I think what it's going to, what it's going to come down to is it's going to be like the desire for music and live performance will be there, but it's going to come down to how much these venues and the venue owners and the show promoters and the people True. who book, how much do they want to do it? True. And some of them are totally going to be on board and I'm sure that they'll make whatever changes and, and amendments they can to how they do things normally to make live music still happen. Yeah. But I think it's really going to be a case by case basis. Cause I know some of these places, I mean, you guys know how it is in LA places close all the time. Yeah. Places that have been open for years and have all this history just fail because their rent all of a sudden is more than they could possibly afford. I think it's, it's just going to come down to case by case and hopefully a lot of them will do what they can, but it's going to be a big challenge. Right. You know, right. But, but I, but I think, the desire will be there and, and just like sports or anything, people mm-hmm. who go and see live music, they're going to need it. So there's yeah. going to be whatever happens. We as an industry and a community will figure out ways to make that work. Yeah. However different the landscape ends up being, it will still be there. It's just, we have to be ready for complete and total change yeah. if necessary to achieve that same goal. Great. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. And I really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to We Need to Talk. And please wear a mask. Wear a mask. We'll talk to you guys soon. <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> thank Bye. You really talk to you. Bye. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Need to Talk the Podcast and Twitter at underscore We Need to Talk underscore.